This is Diamond Strawberry, and this is a Loudspeakers Network production. Internet, so you're tuned into the Combat Jack Show, the combatjackshow.com. What's up, Premium? What's going on, Combat? First and foremost, man, I want to give a special shout out to my man, Ed Woods, being Ed Woods, because if I didn't give him a shout out, he'd be a pain in the ass. But I definitely got to give him a shout out because he definitely played a very instrumental role in making this very same episode that you're listening to happen. And a lot of other things happen, and he's always fresh. There you go. Now, listen, Internets, you've seen social media, you see the show bill. I'm so honored. Peter's so honored. Mm -hmm. Everybody in this studio is so honored to welcome this man to the Combat Jack Show. We've had legends on the show. And, you know, you know that we don't use the term legends lightly. When we say legends, we're talking about like the LL Cool J's and the Chuck D's and the Russell Simmons and the Spike Lee's. We, I don't think in this arena, in the arena of sports, we've ever had a legend of this caliber. So it is with great honor and pride that I welcome to the Combat Jack Show, Mr. Daryl Strawberry. Cheer. What's up, Daryl? What's up? What's up, guys? Thanks Yo, for having me. And thank you for coming, man. You're looking very dapper. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. I was at the Nick game. You know, I had those court seats, but Woo. you guys are more important than the Knicks. You, right had to, you, had to, you had to leave before the game ended. Yeah, the game started at 8 o'clock. But well, they were probably losing. People were getting <laughs> hot dogs to go. <laughs> it's not the Knicks. It's the Knicks of the 80s. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah. But we really appreciate you coming here, man. Um... You know, you have an extensive story, and what I like to do in this show is really expose the younger generation to this great era that we live through, man. And, and you know, I just recently read your book, Straw, and, and it's a dynamic book about, you know, the struggles and the victories and the highs and the lows. But what I really got out of it, and I think it's pertinent to the second half of this show, is like really breaking cycles. You know, breaking cycles of abuse, uh, breaking cycles of addiction, just breaking cycles, you know? No question. I mean, you have to break the cycle over your life. And, you know, for me, I did. You know, that's what the book straw was, uh, Finding My Way. And, of course, a lot of the, um, the young listeners don't know me because they don't know the time of I was in New York in the 80s when I came up in 1983. And, you know, as a big young star, they're supposed to turn the Mets around. And, and of course, you know, I played a big role in that. Uh, winning rookie of the year that year, then having Doc Gooden come the next year after me and winning rookie of the year. And that's when the Mets were on the map. Uh, it, was, it was not a Yankee town, it was a Mets town. And and we became the talk of the town and we became young stars at such a young age. I was 21 when I came up and Doc was 19. So amazing. It was an amazing time uh, for New York City. It was an amazing time for baseball in Queens, Shea Stadium. Um, you never seen nothing like it. Um, it was incredible, you know, what – what took place, the transformation that took place when Davey Johnson came over as the manager. And, and we were amazing, and we had a great team. We had a wild team and, and a great team. Well, let's, 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 let's go to the very beginning in terms of, like, how you started, you know, your influences, the positive and negatives, and what brought you to New York to becoming the legendary individual that you are. Now, you grew up in South Central, correct? Well, I grew up in South Central, L.A., uh, so that's home. I went to Crenshaw High. Crenshaw High. Uh, you know, came out of Crenshaw High, and um, I was the number one draft pick in 1980. Uh, by the New York Mets, and they came and got me out of class, and they say you have been drafted <laughs> by the New York Mets. I says, okay, great. I said, what the heck is New York? <laughs> now, now, what's amazing? I, I, well, I love this part in your book. You said when 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 you got your first check, when they were negotiating your deal, 
when you got your first check, you were so overwhelmed because you had never gotten a, ch- a paycheck before in your life. Well, I had never worked in my life. Right. You know, I was only 18 you know, coming out of high school. And here it is, my first check to play play baseball, you know. And I was like, they're going to actually pay me to play to baseball. To do this thing. Yeah, I mean, because baseball was like fun. Um, you know, as kids growing up, we we always played baseball at the Little League Park. And, you know, you get out on the sandlot, you play baseball. That was the number one game. It wasn't basketball. It was baseball. And, and I just enjoyed playing baseball. And I, I just couldn't believe it that they're going to actually pay me to play baseball. I thought now, it was pretty cool. Now, now let me ask you something, man, because you, you came from a humble beginning, you know, humble working class family. Where do you think you got the skills from, the, the attributes to be such a great athlete? Well, I, I think I got it from my pain. I think most athletes are birthed out of their pain. There's a lot of pain behind what you go through as a child and, and the rejection. And, and my father wasn't there in my life, and it was a lot of – a lot of rejection, a lot of lonely feeling. My mom was always there. My right. mom was awesome. You know, mom always raised you. You know, I wasn't a big star to my mom. I come in the house with my hat on. She said, "Boy, you better take that hat off." And, <laughs> and, you, I, and you appreciate it. Yeah, of course. You know, it's before I knock it off. You know, <laughs> right. that's the way mama was. But you know, when you when you don't have a a father figure in the house, it's very difficult. And you know, especially my father, it was a very difficult relationship because he was very abusive. Uh, physically, you know, where he beat us and um, he was an alcoholic and he just used to come home drunk and and really, you know, start fights with my mom. And, and one night my, we all woke up in the middle of the night and we, we just had it. it that, that was it. That was enough. You know, we told him, my older brother, Michael, told him, only just get out here and leave us alone. He pulled out a shotgun and said, I'll kill all you guys. And that's when we went into action. You know, I was 13, Ron was 14. And Mike was 15, you know, that's when Ron, we all went into action. And Ronnie went and grabbed a butcher knife, and I went and grabbed a frying pan. Frying pan. And I said, you know, we said to ourselves, he's going to die tonight. And my mom realized right from that point there that she needed to get him out of our life because there was going to be trouble. It could have been a tragedy. Everybody only think of Daryl Strawberry, the baseball player, but they don't understand the real tragedy that could have happened that night because we, we had planned on killing my father because he had been so abusive to all of us. And this is all you knew of your father up until you were thirteen years old. That's all. I, that's well. That's all I ever seen in the house. Right. You know? So, so when you when you talk about growing up with that abuse, I'm 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 trying to put together the fact that this anger that you had was channeled into athletics. Or yes, it it, well, it, it allowed me to shut down. See what happens to most kids. I think when they are going through some type of abuse, they they learn to shut down and close down. And I was no different, but I channeled all my energy into sports, um, not only baseball. You know, I was good at football. I was good at basketball. I mean, I could have, like, went anyway, you know, because my, my focus was um, from the fact of being beat, the beatings and being told I was nothing, I was going to prove to him that I was something. Right. That was going to be my my proof, living proof that I am somebody, I am worth something. And, and that's what I believe. That was my drive. That's what really – uh, drove me to uh, playing the playing baseball like I uh, played baseball. The, the one thing you could, one thing I always, I can always say, once I put on the uniform, got on the baseball field, I wasn't never worried. I, I never had no fear factors. I had fear factors of uh, who am I and, right. and, and and learning off how, the field. Yeah, off the field, learning how to live and be comfortable with myself and comfortable in my own skin. I think a lot of times you see athletes, they're great, but in <laughs> in celebrities, they're great, but. Off, who, once the cameras are off. Once the cameras are off, he's like, 
who am I? You know, who really, you know, I could achieve all these things, but it, deep down inside, you know, who am I? But what happens when, when you get abused, there's scars. There's real yes. scars that, that are left in you because the marks are left inside of you and you have to deal with those and be able to overcome those issues. You, you talk also about your brothers, Mike and Ronnie. And, you know, Mike became a, a, a police officer in his life. You know, he lived a, a, a successful life, relatively successful life. But your, your brother Ronnie, you felt carried deeper scars than yourself. Yeah, Mike Mike was very successful in you know, high school. He was a great athlete, and he went on and got drafted and played baseball a little bit. And, and your father really didn't abuse him as much he as... Didn't, he didn't touch him at all. Right, okay. You know, he only touched me and Ronnie. And, and Ronnie was, like, really deeply scarred. You know, right. he was scarred so bad that, you know, once my father was out of the house, no one was going to ever control him again. See, he, me and him took on the same mindset, but I just took a little different role. He he went strictly to the hardcore streets, gangs, you know, fighting, um, being hit with brass knuckles, breaking in houses, um, bringing guns back to the houses and putting guns. He had guns in all, those, <laughs> all the rooms under, you know, under the bed. I said, man, you better get those guns out of here. You know, he had broken some house and he, he just was really way out there. He just went all off to the other side, deep in, he didn't care, you know, and he got into all kind of trouble, you know, and, and he was one of the toughest guys in the neighborhood. Um, you know, I was his younger brother, and I remember one time we were around there shooting craps, and, and I was winning and talking trash, and he got mad because somebody else got, said something to me, and he says, punk, you don't mess with my little brother, and then he got mad at me and called me a little brother, his little brother, he said, you go home, don't ever come back around here and start throwing trash cans at me. I was like, I went home, I said, Mom, Ron is crazy. You know, <laughs> what is going on with him? But see, that's what happens, you know, after you sit in a household like that and being abused like that, um, at least deep scars in you where you just start acting out and, and you start acting a different way. But that, that very incident when, when he chased you out, out, the, out the crap game, you kind of related that to him actually kind of trying to protect you? Yes. He was always protective of me. He was smaller than me, but he had a left hook in that neighborhood where everybody just everybody just kind of knew don't mess with Ronnie because I remember the you know when we got to the new school and everything they said the you know this most popular guy in the school you know was supposed to be the baddest guy in the school and and he eventually ended up talking trash to Ronnie on the basketball court and Ronnie hit him with a left hook and knocked him out and and now and from that day everybody knew who he was so uh, I know he was protecting me he always he always was like that you know far as because I was his youngest brother right. you know he's like nobody's gonna mess with him you know I wasn't really into a lot of things I just like to you know do the little things that we do on the streets you know shoot crap and win the crap game and talk trash yeah, we and, didn't have video games back then <laughs> I know yeah, that's a good point there was no video games but they were you know you you play dice and you know but and shoot craps on Four, the street. Four, five, six. And, and then things start to happen. So let's move forward, man. Like you become this, uh, you channel all your energies and all your, 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 your scars into athletics and you become recognized as like the number one draft pick across the country. And you're just playing, you, you didn't study baseball. You, didn't, you never woke up and said, I'm going to be the greatest baseball player. No, I never studied baseball. I never woke up. I just love playing. Right. And I used to watch the Dodgers because I lived in L.A. And I said one day, you know, that's going to be me. That's all I said. But I had a coach who motivated me, and his name was Mr. Mosley. Um, he was my coach out of, outside of high school where he would come to the house and knock on the door looking for me to get me to go to practice. And I used to tell my sisters, tell him I'm not here. 
<laughs> is that because he saw something in you and he believed in you? Well, he saw he saw a lot of ball players. He saw a lot of great ball players mm. that came out of Southern California. He coached he coached all of them, and my brother Michael was one of them. And he didn't want me to do what the rest of them did, you know, because my brother Michael was a better ball player than I was, but he had a hook in his nose, mm. and that was a girl. Right. So that's what he didn't want me to do. He saw a lot of players with all his talent. Uh, that grew up in these neighborhoods, but most of them got hooked up with the girls and been before they know it, they start having babies and, and they w- drift wasted away. Wasted potential. Wasted potential, because there's a lot of potential that was there. And, and, he, and you know, just to interrupt you, you know, I, I realize, man, in, in, in most of our black communities, there's so much wasted potential, man. It's totally wasted potential. You know, today, you know, it's wasted potential. Back then it was, you know, and, and the kids today don't, don't really give themselves a chance you know, to go out there and, and, and be who they can be. They they rather just hang, hang out and, and hang with the wrong crowd. And that was a choice for me too. I could have made that decision, you know, to hang out with the wrong crowd, just like my brother Ronnie. He he went with the wrong crowd. He he stayed with that. Right. I I had a choice to do that, but I decided, you know, after that time he ran me off and then I went back around there one more time around there and somebody came and robbed a crap game with a shotgun. Mm-hmm. Shot you know, shot the shotgun, but just fire came out of it. No, no buck shots, and that was it for me. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I was done. I'm not built for this. Yeah, I said, this here, you know, if this is what the streets are gonna be about, I don't want to, I don't want to have nothing to do with this. Then I never went back around there from, from that day, and then that's when I made the turn. And I started going the other way. And you were fortunate to have a, 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 a somebody guide you like Mr. Mosley. Mr. Mosley, Mr. Mosley would come get me. Who else would you say that was inspiring you at the time? Because it's funny that you just mentioned what you said, because I I have a lot of friends that are athletes, and I say to myself, you know, one wrong turn, one selling a nickel bag, one one you know not happy with the money you have, and you could lose your opportunity with getting into you know an NFL or MLB, you know. But who else inspired you besides the fact that you know your your father wasn't there, or or even the coach? Who else was well, kept I had you focus? I I had my high school basketball coach. Coaches, um, Coach Willie West and Coach Joe Weekly, these guys uh, uh, were great coaches, and and they kept us focused because you had to be very disciplined to play for our high school basketball team. And there, there's a process you got to go through because if you screw up, um, you're gonna be sitting on the bench, or you're gonna be running a lot of suicides. Mm. You know, and and that 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 there brought so much discipline to myself and a lot of other players that played because they were very serious about the program, and we were elite. We were winning championships every year. And we all want to be a part of that. So uh, they played a big part of who I was inside, you know, uh, as an athlete and determined and learning how to stay focused. Mr. Mosey was the real key to getting me going because I didn't want to go to practice. And he I, he would come to the house and I would tell my sister, tell him, tell him I'm not here or I'm asleep or something. He goes, get him up. I know he's in there sleeping. He says, you get him up or either I'm coming in. So she was, she would tell him, well, he said this. I said, well, just Tell him something, and he he would come in and he'd get a, a glass of water and he'd come in there and pour it on me mm. on the bed and say, "Get up, you want to practice?" And he was fake sleeping. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he but he was he was a plus, you know, because he kept me focused on the purpose. He and he knew the bigger picture before you even had an idea what that was. I was only fourteen, right? And he used to take me to practice, and he told me, "You're going to be great." He said, "All the rest of them." don't have this they don't have the drive 
they don't have the discipline. He so he said, I'm so bad at your brother Mike. He's got a hook in his nose. He says, I don't want you to get a hook in your nose. Uh, he says, I don't want the girls to be the ones that derail you and right. take you the other way because they will. That pie, okay? That pie will take you the other way. Yeah. Okay. So so <laughs> so subconsciously, that's snatch. Sub, sub, subconsciously, he's telling you you're great, and he's telling you things that goes con- contra completely contrary to what your father used to tell you. Yes, it's the opposite of what my father. Right. Used to tell me. And then when did you start realizing? When did when did these seeds that Mr. Mosley was putting, when did they start really taking well, they, root? They, they It took a, took a little while for right. it to sink in. You know, I think when I got to high school, um, I came from Legion Ball, and I was a star in Legion Ball. I got to high school in and, and the 10th grade and had some problems with the coach, and me and him got into it, and I quit. You know, I, you know he, he poked at me. Is walking off the field, and he said, you don't never walk off this field. You hustle off, and, and I quit. I took off. That's the first time I ever quit. I learned from that. I never quit again. I quit. I took off the jersey right there, and I said, I'm done. And, and then I came back the next year, my junior year, and I realized the importance of what it is to stay focused, stay disciplined, and, 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 and really work hard and, and, and hustle to become a great baseball player. Uh, after after that, I felt so bad about myself because, and that's why I never quit in life because I learned that lesson one time. You know, if you quit, you never know what the journey can be. Exactly. You know, too many of us quit, and too many of us throw in the towel, and we just give up and say we're done. And and when I learned that, I just realized that you never do that because you never know what's ahead of you if you quit. So moving forward, man, you get this call in high school. In high school, you get this call. That that you've been drafted to the Mets, and you're like, what? What is New York? Yeah, what is? Where's? <laughs> where the heck is New right York? Right out of class. Yeah, <laughs> throw the binder out. Throw the binder and, out. And when you got the news, you know everybody was happy for you, but your mother had the sense to be like, all that glitters is not gold. She was a little hesitant about all of this coming your way. Yeah, she was. She she, I mean, she was just simple. You know, she was a faithful woman, and she was really simple about her kids and stuff, and. You know, everybody else was, it was a big deal, you know, and she had to bring me down and, and, and keep me down. And all this noise that's going on about how you're going to New York and how you're going to, to the Mets in this big city, how do you differentiate between all that noise and the, and the, and the noise that your mom is making? Well, it, it was tough, you know, because I was really excited about the fact of, of, of getting a chance and opportunity to go after a professional career and and she wasn't all that thrilled. You know, I mean, she was thrilled, but it wasn't, you know. She, She's still her baby. Yeah, of course. You know, I mean, I, the thing I love about my mom, she wasn't one of those moms. She's not going to wear no hat. She's not going to wear my jersey. Right. <laughs> you know, that, that, that's, that's the great thing I love about my mom, the way she was. It wasn't about that. Look at my boy. She's got her chest out, you know, because I think she, yeah. <laughs> she kind of knew. I did. Too many, you've seen so many mothers get caught up in the hype of what this is all about. Right. And you know, there's nothing wrong with that, you know, but I can understand. But being a mother... You want the best for your kids. And she wanted us to learn life. That was the greatest thing about my mom. And I'm so grateful for it because she raised five of us by herself. And she wanted us to know what this life was really all about. The real challenges that you're going to have to face. The things that you're going to have to deal with. The overcoming that you're going to have to do. She knew right right then and there there was going to be a lot for me to deal with. You could be sitting on a million dollars and that doesn't necessarily mean that you're happy. No. And I had plenty of million dollars and wasn't happy. Right. And, and my mom knew it. And 
she used to like, oh my gosh, she used to tell me, I wish I had listened to it. I tell my kids that all the time. You, well, when mom's gone, you're going to wish you had listened to her. She just tell me, boy, leave those girls alone, stay out of them clubs, and focus on your career. That's, that's some great, that's, that's it right there. <laughs> that's everything. That's, that's it right there. <laughs> that's what she used to tell me. She used to hammer it home to me. She's like, and you know, I remember, you know, when she got sick and she was you know, on her way out of here, and she goes, uh, she goes, God's got a plan for you, and it, he's going to get it out of you. And she said, you know, but... The thing is, just all she all she wanted me to do is find life, right? More than anything else, right. and that's what every mother wants. Yes. You know, uh, they, they don't are, care about all that they, stuff. They the right mothers, yeah, the don't right, care about it. They don't care about that stuff. Right. They don't care about the success. So you get to New York. Please walk us through getting to New York. Your first day getting to New York as a Met. The envi- it was 1983, correct? 1983. G- give us the picture, man. I I was coming from Tidewater. I spent a month down in AAA. Um, I was real excited about it, real excited about uh, coming to New York and, and understanding New York City and, and the hype. Uh, and of, professional baseball. Yeah, of course. You know, I, I was the major leagues, at the right. major league level, here it is. This is big time, you know. And I came here and I faced Mario Soto. Uh, he was at the top of his game. He had an amazing changeup. That's what it looked like for me because he struck me out three right. times. First, you know? first, first game, right? <laughs> yeah, first game. So that it's like, welcome to, the, welcome to the big leagues, kid. You know, and he, you know, I remember him, but I never forgot him. Right. Because after he struck me out three times, I remember the look on his face and the way he was when he walked off the mound like he was it. But after that season, he was mine. So, you know, mm. after that year, and that, that year was over, I never, he, I owned him, you know. But I, I learned that because it was the big leagues. But I had to learn coming here because I struggled. I got off to a rough start. And I thought I was a big shot, you know. And because you you would believe in the hype, yeah, well, of course the hype the hype was there, right. but I knew I could play, uh, but I didn't know it was going to take serious work. See, I think a lot of times you see athletes get there and, and they have the talent, and then you say, "What's wrong with them? Why why doesn't it pan out for them?" You know, because they don't work, and that's what it was when I came and I had had a coach, I was a hitting coach, Jim Fry, and he said, "I'm not going to tell you any more time. He said, I'm going to tell you one time if you really want this." You'll be at the ballpark early at two o'clock every day. Mm. Then one day I came late, and he didn't wait for me. And I realized from that day on, I never missed another time. It was two o'clock every day, home road every day. I was there with him working, working on my game to get better. And I, I, I didn't understand it at that time, but later on I understood it because it brought me and elevated my game to a whole nother level of who I was. And I think that's why you see. You know, people hate on the great players. You know, they hate on the Kobe Bryant's and LeBron James, you know, but those guys work. Right. You know, they put the work in. You don't in. see the work, but you see the you see the, the results. The results are there. They put the work in. Right. The, the results are there because they put the work in. You know, and that's the same thing it was for me. I came, I started putting the work in. People started hating, but I put the work in, and the results started to, started but, to come. Tell us about those first-year pressures. New York is huge. Like the buildings, people are moving fast. You're, you're in your first press conference, and all these cameras are in your face, man. Like, what's what's going on through your mind? I, I first I thought, what have I got myself into? Right. You kind of regretted where you were in a sense. Well, right? yeah, of course, because it was humble. You know, it was, it was very humble being down in Triple A. You know, <laughs> <laughs> relaxing, yeah, 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 very easy. Canishes no, on deck. Yeah, no pressure. Uh, you know, you come here and it's the it's the big city. You know, it's the pressure of the city. Um, when you look at the buildings and you look at Manhattan, you look at the uh, taxis and the, the craziness of, of all that that goes on. And, 
and you go, wow. And then you look at, and then you look at the media circle here, the outlets here. Uh, they're everywhere. They were everywhere. And I was a young player coming up, and they were like, you're it. You're Ted Williams. Like, who the heck is Ted Williams? The black Ted Williams, yeah. yeah. Like, who the heck is Ted Williams? I only know uh, Ron Say, Steve Garvey, Dusty Baker, you know, because I was a Dodger fan. I mean, that's yeah. where I grew up. I knew the Dodgers and the Reds. Never knew any Boston. We don't like Boston anyway. So yeah, and we don't like Boston anyway. <laughs> we don't like Boston anyway. But it, it, was, a lot of, it was a lot of pressure um, that first season. Um, and, you know, I started working with Jim Fry, and, and I went on to excel, you know, and I got hot. And I got hot at the right time, and I ended up winning National League Rookie of the Year because of because of him guiding me down that road. Now, does the attention intensify with the Rookie of the Year title? Yes, it does. And you start realizing how deceptive or how dangerous the media is. Well, yes, I started. You we should, well because after that, you know, the Rookie of the Year, I actually went in and I signed a what seven year contract, eight year contract, right right after the rookie season, right to to be with the Mets for a while there. With a lot of money, with some money. Yeah, and then you realize, then you realize, then you realize what you're dealing with. Right. You know, you realize the media that you're dealing with, the outlets, and and the people and the personalities. Um, and how they take your words. You you sitting face to face with somebody. Oh, they could twist. You it. tell them something, and then the next day it's a whole something different, and now you got drama with your teammates. Yeah, I had a lot of drama with um, dealing with. You know, but my teammates were so neg. Some of them were so negative too. You know, they right. were always. You know, criticizing and saying things behind my back. I just, I always just wanted them to say it to my face. So let's let's go toe to toe, right? You know, because I ain't got nothing to hide. I, I, I'm South Central. <laughs> I was, was get it cracking. Exactly. I mean, th- that's the kind of personality I had. I wasn't afraid to back down. You know, from none of that. So, you know, the media kind of lashed out at me all the time because I was the most talented player on the team. And they say they will say, what? Well, he's dogging it because he don't hustle. He don't do this. No, baby, this is just natural. Right. This is the natural way I play the game. You know, I it, I love playing this game. I'm going to play this game well for you. But, you know, you have to go through these – you have to go through these process uh, uh, of fighting, you know, with your team teammates sometime because there's a lot of animosity and jealousy, right. you know, that go on in the clubhouse. A lot of and, ego. Yeah, a lot of egos and, you know, people be tripping and – you know, I could trip too. You know, that's that's the way I was. You know, I, at that time, I, if you want me to trip, I'll trip. Right. You know, but if, if I stay over here on the other side and do my thing, I will do my do my thing. And you grow as a family too. I'll tell you, not even pointing out who 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 embraced you, like you know, from the clubhouse, like all those people, like Wally Backman or Lenny Dykstra or Keith Hernandez or George Forster or Ray Knight. Like who who was the people that embraced you? Nobody. It was only Gary Carter. You know, Gary mm. Carter was only like the real solid. You know, true. You know, really teammate. Peace. Yeah, you know, exactly. Died at such a young age, 57 years old. But he was solid, you know, and he was he was always there for you. He was always there to encourage you. And, you know, everybody else, all the other players sometimes made it think that he was phony, but he wasn't. He was real. You know, he had a real heart, loved the game, but he loved his family. He wasn't like all the rest of us. You know, all the rest of us wanted to be wild. Right. And he wasn't like that, so he would always – you know, encourage me and, and and encourage me about what I can do and what I can do for the city, what I can do for this team uh, because of the talent. Let's talk about the transformation of the Mets. You get here and then Dwight Gooden gets here. And then you guys take the franchise and you transform it to 1986. Something miraculous happens. Tell, tell us about that whole transformation. Well, it, it, started, it started with the general manager. You know, that's where it really starts. You know, I think a lot of times – People don't give the people that need the credit for it because they start building the team the right way. It takes a personality to build a team here in New York City. Um, 
when you look at the 86 match and, and how it was built, Frank Cashin built that team. He brought pieces in. He brought Carter in. He brought Ray Knight in. He brought Hernandez in. He had guys come from the forum system, myself, Doc, um, Lenny Dykstra, we brought Kevin Mitchell up. Mm. You know, it was a group, you know, that he brought together. And we just, you know, we jailed together for the for the year before that in 85. We came to spring training in 86. Day one, David Johnson said, we're going to win it all. And you knew. Oh, yeah, we knew. We, we, we knew from that. When he, when he said that was the first meeting we had in 86 spring training, he said, I ain't got much to say. He said, but I just tell you, we're going to win it all this year. We got year. it. We're going to win it this year. And we started looking around. I said, well, Hell yeah, we're going to win this thing this year. This, this, I, I'm ready now. Let's, let's win it, you know. Tell us about the magic of that game and that last game, man. It was a lot of magic, you know. It was a lot of magic with two outs and, um, you know, everybody playing um, Billy Buckner, Buckner yeah, for the play. Pace. But um, you think about Calvin Sherrardi, he couldn't get nobody out. Mike Stanley couldn't get nobody out. Base hit, base hits, boom, boom, before you know it. Mookie hits a ground ball, and there was Buckner trying to beat Mookie to the bag, and he missed the ball, and there we were. We were back in it. We win that game, and then we come game seven. They don't even understand. We come back to game seven, and we're, we're behind in game seven. Right. And we had to come back again. But, see, that's the kind of team we had that year. We were just a comeback team. Right. How high was it, man, to, to be on top of the world? To win the pen, like how high did you guys feel naturally? naturally. Before the before all the other before, before the other highs, before, before all the other highs, before, man. before all the other highs, the girls <laughs> and the drugs and the yeah. alcohol. Yeah, um, it was very special. Right. It was very special because we had worked so hard, um, and we were so so real as a team. Uh, when you look back at that, and you look at that season. Uh, we stuck together at all times. You know, we went we went out together. Uh, we got in got in fights and bars because you know people hated us when we were on the road. <laughs> we we were the real deal. You right. know, we were just like that's that's our tight net how we were. And and to really come to that place and winning it all, that was it. And you know, and we didn't need no more. I mean, but I think I, I think the '86 National League Championship Series was a series that we went crazy when we won against Houston. That mm. was. You know, because you had to win the division to get in then. Right. You know, it wasn't a wild card. So yeah. we won that division, had to go against Houston and Mike Scott and Nolan Ryan. And when we beat them, that was it. We knew we knew from there that we were the best. What was it that made you guys the bad guys of the league? Like, what was it? Because we like to throw down. Right. You know, there was no question. You drill one of us, we charged in the mound. You know, we were very serious. Kevin Mitchell was bad as all, all our back doors. You said Kevin Mitchell brought to the game. Like, everybody else is playing a game. When Kevin Mitchell came to the field, it was like the Bloods versus the Crips. No, Kevin Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> no, Kevin Mitchell was Kevin Mitchell was awesome. Yeah. I mean, he was he really, really was awesome. And you know, every time we got into a fight or something, he'd be the first one in there in the middle of it. You know, while everybody else is fooling around, right? Mitch, and you're like, he's serious. He, Mitch is dead serious about, and it, he's trying know? to kill somebody. But he's a great. T- that's what that's what teammates are all about. Right. You know, when you're in that, because when you're on the field like that, you're in war together, and you have to learn. You you have to learn how to deal with that and you know and and if i was in a, if i was in a dark alley that's the guy i would want to be in with i would me and him kevin mitchell i would want to be in a dark alley with him because i know he can fight right now tell us about the the magic that was the highs and lows of the new york fans man well the magic of new york fans is incredible i i, I never there's no really highs and lows with me with them it was always the it was, it was always the new york media it, it's never the fans the fans only react to what they read 
So, you know, if they read that, you know, you're struggling, you're having a hard time and you got issues, you know, the fans are going to come to the ballpark and boo. So I said, that's cool. You know, I said, I'm just going to hit two off the scoreboard right. tonight. And they're going to call me out for a curtain call, and I ain't coming out. I'm going down to the tunnel. Get the apple sm- up. With the yeah, smoke, the smoke apple. a cigarette. I'm going out to the tunnel, smoke me a cigarette, and then I'm coming back, and, you know, next time I come up, I'm going to hit another one, and I'm going to do the same <laughs> thing. It's, but it's pretty cool. I mean, when you understand New York sports and the drive of New York fans, it's, it's incredible. I think a lot, of, a lot of players don't know how to embrace that. Right. You know, they, they run and hide under – you know, this, this shield because you get booed. I say, they say, they used to ask me, say, well, how do you feel when they boo you? I say, well, damn, they know I'm in the ballpark. <laughs> <laughs> I, t- I tell you, I want to touch on, on, on some more people uh, later on, but uh, as far as we're talking about the 86 Mets, you know, and you, you know, speaking about, you know, having a father figure in your life, how important was Davey Johnson in your life? Davey Johnson was important. I mean, it, it's important to have a father figure in your life. You know, when you're young and you're, you're trying to excel and achieve, and, and, and not even in that. I mean, just going way back and looking at my childhood and, and realizing that lonely walk I used to take to school every day, coming to high school, and used to think, you know, I'm all by myself, you know, because my father ain't here. He's not, he's not coming to my game. He's not, you don't call me. He don't, we don't talk. Uh, it was very painful to, to be able to experience that. And I said to myself, I said, when I grow up and have kids, I'm never going to treat my kids like my father did. And I, I, and I didn't. I never put my hands on my kids. I never touched one of them because it left scars. Right. And I didn't want to leave them scars. I know those scars are real. And I think sometimes people don't understand that. You know, they want to smack their kid upside the head or something like that. You could, leave, you could damage them by doing that. And I realized that I would never do that to my children. So tell us about you. You came to New York with a sense of innocence, relatively a sense of innocence. And then you join the scum bunch. Like, t- <laughs> tell us about that whole transformation in your personal life. Well, yeah, of course you you, you start off innocent. We all start off innocent, right. you know, in in life and everything that we do, and you know, very humble about what life is all about and where we're trying to get. And and, and then you get to interacting with other people from other places, and and you become a part of. And and the scum bunch of our team was, you know, all of us. We loved, you know, all of us. We we love to hit it. We love to hit it hard. We we hit the clubs, the strip clubs. We hit the girls. Um, you know, yeah. I, I just you know I I didn't realize how good I was, right? Because I never got sleep. You know, I got I, I got I, I love to go out and party. I love the girls. Um, you know, I love taking amphetamines. You know, I love I love. I loved it when the cocaine came around. I became a big part of that. I loved all that. You know, <laughs> no, and you in I- a sense, in a sense, at that time, it wasn't even necessarily your fault because. In the circle that you're in, the, the the levels that you're in, it was acceptable. Yes, it was, and well, you know, of course it was, and I think people deny that, right? You know, and try to hide. Well, I didn't have a problem. Well, I didn't. Well, I, you know, I ain't gonna mention no names, but I saw some of y'all, a lot of y'all, on the plane snorting just like I was, you know. So yeah. let's be real, you know. You know, I I I ain't ashamed of who I am. You know, it was what it was, and and, and that's the in that time of the '80s, it it was like a free time, right? You know, to do yeah. that, you know, and that's why I talk about had to have social media. You know, you, you, you'd I'd be been, in trouble. I'd be in trouble, boy. <laughs> I'll tell you, I, you know, I'm a Yankee fan, but I'll tell you, whenever I speak to diehard Mets fans, they always blame Keith Hernandez for putting you on to cocaine. Is there any truth to that? No, Keith hasn't. Have you heard people say that before? I don't know. I, 
I don't really pay attention to. I I I made that decision myself. Most definitely, you know, and that's what people have to say. It wasn't because of this. It wasn't because of that. It's because I wanted to, you know, and I, and I wanted I wanted to I wanted to be a part of. I wanted to fit in and what this life was all about, you know. And I think we all experience something in life, you know. And I wish I had not experienced that because it took me down a bad road. Right. No question about it. It's not anybody else's fault. That was my decision to go down that road and my decision. To, to get deeply involved in the drug life and, and the partying life and the women life like I did. And it was a popular thing at that time. I mean, me and Kamba had spoke before about how popular, you know, things like that, like cocaine or even other type of drugs. Like, people don't understand in that time and age, you know, it was a, a an end thing to do as crazy as that sounds. Real, it was a cool thing to do, yeah. you know. You never... You, you were square if you didn't slip low. Yeah, yeah you, <laughs> you, don't, you, don't know, you don't know what road is going to take you down. That's the whole whole thing. Nobody knows that. You know, we can say, well, I, I'll never do that. I would never do that. You don't know what you would do if you had that kind of pressure on you to perform, that kind of, you know, media circle around you, people pulling at you from every angle, and girls throwing everything to you. Mm-hmm. You want a piece. Right. That's natural. Yeah. And, 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 you know, all of this is going on. All of the, the amphetamines, the drugs, the alcohol, and then the, and the, the sports, like all of that, even the sports, even your career, in a sense, is an escape. But you have a real life too. Like you get married early, you have your kids early, and, and, and things start happening at home. And you're trying to be the person that your, you, you're, trying, you're not trying to be the person that your father was. But then this, this, this theme of cycle starts happening in your household. Well, yeah, it's a cycle that happens in your household. And it happens in all our lives, some, right. some, some kind of way, some capacity, uh, a cycle of dysfunction, I call it. Uh, you get into, uh, marriage relationships and they become dysfunction and you have children and you don't want your kids to be uh, dysfunction you try to put a safeguard around them and protect them i've always been protective over my children that's been the most important thing and and, and i'm very grateful for them because they they all have they all have done well you know and and moved and and moved forward in their life you know of course are they are they going to struggle with things yes because we all gonna have to overcome some things if you don't struggle with things then that means you're perfect, right. you know, and none of us are. You know, we all got something that we got to overcome and, and we got to deal with and we got to face. And, exactly. And, and and that's the important thing I always tell my children. I'm no angel, you know. I No, I, no, I, no you weren't. Yeah, that's what <laughs> that, I tell them. They look, you know, they look at my life today and they, they think, well, that's, that's pretty solid. But dad was out there, you know, right. and he was in the middle of all that. And I want to tell you, I want to tell you what's out there. And you go out there, I want you to know that it's consequences behind your action. Exactly. And you need to know that. Exactly. You know, and that's what I try to explain. So, Daryl, like, you, you, you're young, you're on top of the world, you have this great opportunity to escape, but then you come home and you have this daily challenge. First, your son DJ was born, and then Diamond was born. And you're going through this whole thing at home until one day you find yourself in a very, very similar situation that you saw your father and your mother in. Well, I had issues, you know, right. I had the same issues because... Um, you know, what happened to us, you know, you picking up uh, the bottle and start drinking, drinking hard, and late nights, living late nights, and, and chasing, chasing other women, and dysfunction, you know, becomes very dysfunctional in your life. Uh, what I didn't want to be, I, 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 was, I started to become, you know, because of this lifestyle, this lifestyle, like you can see, a, a, a celebrity lifestyle and a baseball player lifestyle tell you you can do whatever you want to do. Right. And that's a lie. You know, if you don't know that, you're going to end up doing that. 
I, I think you feel like you can just go anywhere and do anything. You can have what you want. It, it, it's not. This is not Burger King. Right. You can't have it your way. You know. You got to. <laughs> you know. You there, there's a, there's a price that you have to pay, and I, I think some of us don't believe it's a price you have to pay because um, I have a contract and and I got it going on, and don't ever think it's going it's going to fall it's going to fall through the cracks. Uh, eventually, it, it eventually it will fall through the cracks. There's no question about it. I don't care who you are, and right. I was no different than anybody else. Tell us about the time you found yourself po- pointing a gun at your ex-wife. Yeah, it was it was not good. You know, I'd been drinking, and you know, I, I that was the time that I realized that I had a serious problem. You know, because the frustration of who I was, not anybody else, right. but the frustration of who I was. Uh, wasn't wasn't well. I was I was great at baseball, but I wasn't great as as, as a man. Right. You know, I was failing as a man, and, and when you failing as a man, there's a problem there. Right. And I think we need to start getting back to understanding that as as men. You know, when you're failing, there's a there's an inner issue problem with me. I need to look at me. I don't need to look at anybody else. I need to deal with what's really going on with me. And that's what that's what happened at that time. I wasn't looking at me, and and she had said something, and I didn't like it, and I just pulled out a pistol. You know, and it just. And, you know, here I'm at the height of my career and telling her, you know, I'll shoot you in the face. You know, how crazy is that? And then when did you connect that, oh, oh, shit, this is the same thing I saw my father do? Yes. Well, I connected right there, you know, and then uh, I got arrested. And then, of course, the Mets called and called, you know, Dr. Lance in and he said, I think you need treatment. Right. You know, that was the first introduction to, you know, going into treatment. He said, I think you have a problem drinking. Right. You know, on this show. I like to bring up the fact that in the black community, you know, everybody has issues. White people, white, white, particularly men. White men have issues. Black men have issues. One of the slightest things culturally is that in the white community, mental health is recognized. And he, these guys have psychiatrists and the whole nine. Whereas for us, generally, it's like, yo, power through that. Man up. And the whole nine. Did you, when they said you needed help, was that a foreign thing to you? Yes, it was. Right. It really was. I really like we need help. I don't you know. Need, I don't need no help. <laughs> I'm good, motherfucker. It, well, of course, that's what we think. Right. Look, I, I, I grew up in South Central. What do I need help from? We grew up, you know, we grew up learning how to fight through life, um, and, and I think a lot of times we we do need help. And when we do need help, it's okay to get help. That's that's what we need to start teaching our young. African American kids, you know, if you need help, you need some kind of counseling or something in school or something. Get it, you know, because 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 what happened is we're missing it at home. We only have one parent. Right. We don't have a father there. You know, most of the time it's mom. You know, mom's trying to raise you. She raise can't you. raise you to be a man. No, she cannot raise you to be a man. And I think we we missed the point uh, of of telling the kids get get the help. If some some teacher at school can help you, some coach can help you. Allow them to help you. Right. And 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 throughout throughout this period of dark darkness that you're going through your wife files for divorce and you start seeking help and you did one of the things you never thought you would do you called your father well yeah I had to I had to you know after you know change of life you know I had to get to a place where two wrongs don't make a right right you know for, for his wrong and for me being wrong keeping him out of my life uh, don't make me right either right so I had to come to grips with that and I had to look myself in the face and I had to call him and, and really try to mend my relationship with him. And not about what he did to me, but what I did to him. Right. But did you also realize that, like, as you were going through it, you had a greater sense of compassion for probably what he was going through because you realized he was incapable right. of being a father f- 
for you because he probably went through that. Well, he did, right? You know, and finding out the history, it's a it's a it's a history line of of issues that come along inside of a, a father and a son um, that that's never dealt with, and I needed to deal with that because I I, I didn't want to have that kind of. Uh, issue with my kids. I wanted to make sure that I deal with that with my father. Because who am I? Right. You know who 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 makes me God? Who makes me think I'm all that? Right. You know that you know just because of what happened, and he didn't know that he keeps me out. I keep him out of my life. Right. So you do all the right things. You get clean. You you get saved. Right. And then you know your your career moves on. You get signed to the Yankees. You're doing all the right things, and then life has this fucked up way. Of just 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 giving us more. You know, you get cancer, dude. I had cancer twice. Twice. Lost my left kidney in my second surgery, so I'm a miracle. And I, how overwhelming is that, though? It, it, it's 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 hard. It's hard to deal with that, and and when you already got other things that you have compiled on you that you're struggling with, how do you deal? How do you fight through? And I think as a, as a as as a black man, I need I need you need to you need to have you need to be courageous, right? You know, you need to have really um, a sense about about yourself and believe in yourself more than anybody else. You have to, right. and, and that's what I had to do. You know, I had to believe in myself and believe that it's greater, something greater than you know that's inside of me than myself uh, to be able to move me forward, to be able to battle, you know, what life is all about. Because the, the real life and, and the real challenges are always going to be there. It's just how can yeah, I the, press the, the through? The landscape is not going to change. No, it's not going to change. How do I press through? Anyone with anyone with with of color, you gotta learn that you don't quit, you don't quit, you don't give up, you don't turn your back, and you don't quit, because if you quit, you're done. You could've quit when, I, when, when, when you were going through chemo. I could've quit. And I, you could've quit when you were going through recovery. I could've quit when I was going through addiction. I fell sometimes, and, and I had to you get fell, back you up. You fell a lot. And yeah, that's what I'm saying, I fell, <laughs> yeah. and, and I got back up, and I, you, I just said, you know, one day, I'm gonna get on the other side of all this, and I'm gonna turn my life around, and then I'll understand why I was here. Right. I'll tell you, if there's one thing I always say about, uh, when I think of Darryl Strawberry, I think of somebody, if, if, if people come up and say he had addictive personalities or addictive behaviors, but he had crazy willpower, you know, and, and that's important, too, because I think that so many people fall, they don't know how to get back up. Yeah. They don't know how to recreate themselves, you know? And, and I will say, going through all those situations you went through, how did you face the game of baseball? Like, meaning going through, you know, when you had cancer, going through when you were high. Like, how did you face that game of baseball going to work? Well, baseball was, baseball was simple. You know, it's it's a, you're, playing, you're playing a game. Yeah. No, but what I mean is going through these issues, going through these situations. Like, you know, at the end of the well, day, you fans think, fans think, good. You got to always remember, whatever you do is your outlet. Right. To escape from what's going on. Me doing this show, yeah, is it, an escape. It's your outlet, exactly. It's your outlet. This is this is your outlet. You can you can do this, and 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 that's the same thing it was for me with baseball. Baseball, you you give me a bat, and you give me a glove, and you. That's tell why me, you hit all them home runs. Yeah, you, that's what I'm saying. You give it to me, I, I got that. But how do I get this other part? You know, because this other part I miss. Yeah, I miss this fatherhood from a from. From being a child, I missed the hugs. I missed the you know pat on the head, not the mm. slap on the head, mm -hmm. but the pat on the head to tell me, you know what, you're gonna be all right. 
You know, you you know what? Okay. You everything everything's gonna work out. You know, I've had to walk walk through this with my kids. I had to walk through this with my. I'm walking through this with my daughter right, right. now, Diamond. You know, I had to walk through some with my son DJ and Jordan and Jay. My daughter go to UConn and Jordan go to Mercer playing basketball. I've had to walk through some stuff with them, and, and which is important. Fatherhood is so important to be there for your children, no matter what. Tell us about when you joined the Great Yankees. And your relationship with, with George Steinbrenner? Well, George was awesome. You know, the boss is nobody like him. He didn't really, he didn't really care what, about what anybody thought about him and who he brought uh, to the Yankees. And when he brought me to the Yankee family, um, it was incredible. It was incredible to be able to play for the New York Yankees. Um, the organization is, is, is just a class organization. I have nothing but the utmost respect for all that I've uh, accomplished with them and who they are and, and what he – what he was for the Yankees and and just just everything about the Yankees. Yeah, I've never played for a better organization. You know, it's, it's, it's the greatest organization I ever played for. Put on your uniform and played for. Was he another father figure? He was a father figure. And he and he like he saw you go through your addictions and your illnesses, and he never gave up on you. He had spoke to me and said before he said, had he not been suspended, he said he'd have brought me to the Yankees when I became a free agent. Mm-hmm. But he when when I when I became a free agent, he was suspended from baseball, and I ended up going out to L.A. signing a big contract to go play out in L.A. And he said, "You belong in New York." He goes, "You're a New York guy." <laughs> and at first, you didn't you didn't believe him. No, no, it was hard to believe. You wanted to go back home. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was hard to believe, right. you know. But he says, "You belong in New York." He goes, "You're an icon in New York." He says, Don't, "It's just a lot of people come through here." And they talk about the, you know, they talk about they're going to be great and be good. And he says, "I watch you from that other side over there in that med uniform." He goes, "I want that guy." <laughs> well, that's how the boss was. I tell you, he even gave you a second chance. When he gave you the second chance, did you feel like under pressure not to let him down? Yeah, I felt like I, I felt like um, I didn't want I want to let him down, and then I failed again, you know. And 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 he still he he regardless he didn't turn his back on me. He said he told me I was like a son. He says, you're like a son, you know, you're someone that's a part of what New York is all about. And and New York is a place of, of second, third, fourth. New York is a place of you got problems. That's OK, because I got problems, too. Everybody. Got problems. <laughs> I got bills. I got bills. Yeah. So New York, fan, New York fans are like that. In us. And, and playing with the Yankees, that's what it was like. I want to get to the next chapter of this interview. Um, but before we end this, this segment, man, um, Talk about some of the great players you welcome to these organizations. Like you talked about welcoming Derek Jeter to the yeah. Yankees. What would you see when Derek came to the? To well, I got a chance in '95 to see him down in in the minor leagues and played a little bit when I was coming back with the Yankees, and and then we came up there at the end of that year, and he sat on the bench and he wasn't playing. But but so had been playing, and he was like a little concerned about you know what's going to happen. I said, dude, check this out. You've been there. I said, I I, I, I said. I own this town when I played in there. <laughs> I know talent. I said, check this out. I said, boy, you can play. And I said, they going to love you here. And I said, because you good looking too. I said, they going to eat you up and you're smart and you can play. I said, let me, let me tell you one thing. Just take care of yourself. Don't let people in your business. I said, I wish I would have had somebody sitting here telling me right. what this was all about of 
you're going to be a star. I said, Jeet, you're going to be a star in this town. He was like, okay. He's like, oh, man, get out of here. I said, I, I said, man, come, I'm telling you, man, you're going to be a star. So you could play, man. Just keep playing the game the way you're playing it. And he went on. You saw what he went on to yeah. do. I and mean, plus he slayed a lot of, he slayed a lot of that. He, you know what he, I mean? He, but he slayed, but he didn't get that hook in his nose. Right. No, he he hooked them. You're right. He hooked them with you, that D. You yeah. are right. <laughs> and, and you know what? It could be that talk that you had with him. Well, it, 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 it was just for his own good, you know, just to do do something different. You know, then because compared to what I did, because I was, I said I was a star on the other side, man. I ate this town. I said, I ate this town up. I said, just be careful what you do. And I said, the thing is, just just go low profile and keep people out of your business. Right. And that's what he did. He did it for twenty years. You know. Yeah, he has. Yeah, I tell you, he is one player that I always say, like, you know, you never heard anything really crazy about him. He did. And in New York, it's so easy with all that money and all that fame. It's so easy for these people and these media to really pick you apart. Yeah. Tell us about some of the other titans that were in, not necessarily the, the arena of baseball, but but. The '80s was amazing with regard to some of the athletes that it, it like, like Mike Tyson. Like you, you, you had a, a minor relationship with Mike Tyson. Yeah, right? Mike was great. Yeah. You know, Mike was rolling around at that time, and you know, but he was wide open. Yeah, yeah. you know, and you, you guys were on the same train, basically. We were on the same train. You gonna get killed wide right. open. You know, Mike, <laughs> Mike was wide open, and you know, Jordan was around that time. You and know, tell us yeah. about Jordan. Jordan was solid. You right. Know? Jordan was solid. Jordan was. Jordan was. You know, he kept. He, professional you know he did he, he ran he ran the right way you know and it, you know you're running guys all the time you know because we all were big stars at the same time we were always friends that's the whole thing about it you know no there was no animosity of who's who and who's who's this and like players today you know we, we wasn't like that you right. know we played different sports you know i remember my boys from the cowboys emmett and michael irvin was my boy that would go hang out with them and Dion and all of us you know mm. we all had great times we played celebrity basketball games together and stuff and we always all got together and did things together did you read that recent story that just came out about how Mike Tyson threatened to beat up Michael, Michael Jordan, Jordan. For, did, for, you about, did you hear about it I heard about it <laughs> <laughs> Mike was going to beat up everybody around that time I remember seeing a flick back in the day of Mike coming to Shea and uh, coming down there, and they gave him the Mets jacket, and then you were there, and Goodham was there, and I remember he was like, uh, before you were leaving, he was like, yo, yo, Dara, I, I need a, a signed bat, you know? And uh, you could see really just the chemistry that and, and, and the love that he had for you and, and, and Gooden. Yeah, he know? did. I mean, he really did, you know, he was because he, he was young, too, and... You know, you, you're talking about that picture where he had a boxing glove on, like yeah, he was going to yeah, knock yeah. out. And I was in the middle, like, hold up, Mike, yeah. you can't knock him out. He got a pitch. <laughs> you know, so so through all of these trials and tribulations, you've become successful. You you beat cancer twice. Um, you've been clean for so, how many years now? About 12 years now. 12 years. Congratulations. Yeah, I think. And so you have this sense of loving yourself now. You've deprogrammed yourself from how your father had programmed you. you, you, you you're con contributing to charitable organizations. You're, you're trying to plant in kids, particularly black kids, black, black males, a sense of worth. And now, at this point, it's like, you know what? I got to make sure my kids are safe. Yeah, well, that's the most important thing. Yes. You, know, um, you know, I am a father. You know, I'm a man of God. I'm a father, and uh, I love my wife, and I love my children. And, and that's what's important. And there, there's nothing else outside of that um, that's dear to my heart is to see my kids be well and, and learn learn life on life terms. I'm not going to try to control them and tell them what to right. do, but I'm going to say I'm going to say I've been there, you know, as your father. Uh, and, and do you want to really take this road? Do is this really that important to you? How important is it to you? And now, and now your daughter's in, getting the spotlight right now. Yeah, she's getting a little spotlight. You know, she's getting getting a lot of spotlight from 
a, a reality show, I believe. Right. You know, <laughs> which I call it. And, and and do I approve of it? No, but I, I don't have the right to tell her that she cannot do right. it. You know, there's a reason why she wants to do it and the reason why she is in it. And I, I just allow her to be in it. But I'm I'm here to tell her, I love you. Right. You know, and it, it, when you when you need me, I'm going to be here because you're my daughter. It doesn't matter because my life has changed and shifted and, and I'm this different person. I've been there. So who am I to tell you you can't be there? Right. You know, you, you don't, you don't do that. Because you want to listen to anybody if they told you you couldn't do it. Right. You don't do that to your kids. You love them right where they're at. You hold them, you hold a hand, you walk them through it. And, you know, and when they have to deal with it and see how difficult it is, maybe they'll learn because I had to learn too. Right. We all in the learning lesson here. It's funny. I was telling you off air that my son is really pursuing a career in music. And who am I to tell him not to pursue a career in music? But I'm like, <laughs> Uh, I know. <laughs> you know, listen, let's go to a break. And when we come back, we'll bring your, your daughter Diamond on. And let's talk about her career and your involvement in her life as, as, as her father. Internet, you tune into the Combat Jack Show, the CombatJackShow.com, if your radio, if your TV show, and if your podcast. Be right back. Cheer. Hey, what's up? This is Coco, and you're listening to the Combat Jack Show. Internet, so you are tuned into the Combat Jack Show, the combatjackshow.com. Thanks for riding with us through the first half of this episode where we had a great dialogue with the legendary Daryl Strawberry. I think this is the very first time we're having on the Combat Jack Show a father-daughter combination. Yep. I'd like to welcome to the show Ms. Diamond Strawberry. Hi. How you doing? Good, how are you? I'm doing okay. Thank you for coming to the Combat Jack Show. Thank you for having me. Now, is this the first time you're speaking publicly with your father? Um, this is actually the second. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, I'm well, glad. This is the only one that matters. This is Combat. the only one that matters. <laughs> well, well, I'm, I'm glad you're here. Diamond, you've been blowing up the internets and the, mm -hmm. the gossip columns and everything. First of all, I want to thank you. I mean, I want to I uh, congratulate you on, you know, your being on this show, Love and Hip Hop, New Thank York. Thank you. How'd you get that? On the show? Yeah, how'd you get on the show? Um, well, I was dating this guy, and they were interested in him and being his girlfriend, and kind of threw me in, the, in there, too. Now, now, were you kind of nervous about being on reality TV? Did anybody ever tell you what it was like to be on reality TV? You know what? I don't really watch reality television, so I had no idea what I was getting myself into. So wait a minute, how, how are you growing up in the internet age and not really watching reality TV? I don't know, like, I, I'm 26, but I, I like cartoons. Okay. Like, <laughs> I watch American Dad, Family Guy, The Cleveland Show, you know, I'm, I'm big on Adult Swim. You know, the, <laughs> the thing is, like, it's, it's funny how, you know, the biggest growing form of entertainment right now is reality TV, mm -hmm. and we actually have come to the point where we accept reality TV as the norm, you know. But I hear so many horror stories, you know. We we gave a shout out to Ed Woods earlier, you know, and Ed had a run on reality TV, and I remember after that season ended, he was kind of shook in terms of how he found himself portrayed. What's been your experience? Oh my god, with, with Love and Hip Hop. I mean, if you could speak right into the mic. Oh, sorry, no problem. We're only two episodes deep, but the way that I've been portrayed as it's not a good look for me. It's not a good look for my family and our name. And it's kind of embarrassing. You know, I, I think there's two ways to look at it. You know, when you're on camera, nobody forces you to say or do things. That's one way of looking at it. Mm -hmm. But the other way is, 
it all comes out in the edit. They can edit things the way they want to to make one person look like a good person or a bad person. How close do those things match up in terms of your experience up until this point? And I know you can't talk fully about the show, but up until this point. Um, I'm not going to blame, you know, the people that edit the show. I mean, me saying and doing things, that's all me. Right. They just happen to catch me in a bad time, right. you know, and I said and did things that I, I probably shouldn't have, things right. that I regret. Like what? <laughs> um, the thing I regret most is the dog reference to my daughter, right. because anyone that knows me, they know that my daughter is my world. I give her my first, my last, my everything. She has my heart. Like, you know, everything I do is for her. I'm trying to build a career so I can give her a better life so I don't have to depend on my parents. So that is the one thing in the season so far that I regret the most. And it seems like, you know, I don't really look at the show, but in doing research for this episode, I looked at a couple of the two episodes and it seems like that dog reference just keeps being promoted. I cannot live that down. Right. I mean, there there were so many other things that the audience could have picked up on and teased me about. Like what? But they chose that. Like what? The fact that I flew 3,000 miles from home to get here to be dumped off with a stranger. Right. Um, the fact that I don't, I didn't know where my boyfriend was living. Um, let's see. I mean, I mean, there's just several things. The fact that I was played and continued to stay with him. There are so many things that they could have picked on, but they chose... Not a simple thing, but they chose that just right. to to really tear me down. Now you have you've been dating Cisco, yes, for two years, two years. and and it's a real relationship. Like as as far as you know, up until this point, it was a real relationship. You know, I, I thought we were just in love, right? You know, and 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 that's what he gave you as well. Yes, but at the same time, you know, as we've seen in the episodes, you were kind of keeping you were keeping your daughter from him I, I withheld information and you know what i don't regret it people right. can say that i lied and you know i'm not a good person but if anything i was protecting my daughter right. i was unsure about the relationship that you know cisco and i were had and i wasn't going to bring my daughter around a man and then they get attached to each other and things don't work out and then he's out of her life i was protecting my child because i did not know what the future held with that man you know comment i agree with that because it, it, you know i'm i'm divorced um separated 13 years and uh, i just got serious where to go two years ago so for almost 10 years you know i never brought anybody around my daughter because i didn't feel they were serious enough or I didn't but, feel, but you told them about your daughter I told them about my daughter but I didn't bring them around and I didn't really open up so much because I was like I didn't want to get her confused with who these people were coming in her life right so I don't know if that was your approach but if it was I could understand exactly what you mean right I mean I'm gonna own up to you know my wrongdoings I should have told him I had a daughter but no they did not need to meet well and I'll tell you this you know, I'm in my I'm in my late 40s. You're in your late 30s. That you know, when you're in love and you're young, you there's no manual to this, right? <laughs> right. And we we have all done stupid things. It's just unfortunate. I'm just I'm just so thankful that at this point in my life, the stupid things that I've done have never been played out on national TV. You're lucky. And now you make you you you've, you've made some mistakes, and it's 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 totally magnified. Right. Oh. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy seeing my life played out on TV and, you know, seeing the bad decisions that I've made. Like, it really makes you take a look at yourself like, you know what? I got to get myself together. I have to do better. Now, what are you learning about yourself? I am learning that I'm very emotionally scarred. I have trust issues. 
I'm angry. Um, and I'm really, I, I was just, I was searching for companionship. I just, I, I wanted that love. You know what I'm saying? Now, now you know, we, you, you, you heard us interview your father. Mm-hmm. And your father has, has, has been very open about his past, but also very committed. Because all of us, regardless if it's, you know, abuse or whatever, we all live through these cycles. And after we break the cycles of our own individual patterns, we start seeing those cycles in our family and in the next generation. <laughs> is that is that something that you're like, what was what's your relationship with, with, with your father? You know what? I love my dad very much, but I can't lie. We don't have. Well, we did not have the best relationship. You know, we're, we're working on it now. We're we're good. Right. But, but when you say you didn't have the best relationship, is it what, what was it the, you know, not being there enough or was it right. the, because, you know, it's funny because me in combat, like this is this thing I created that we live by in this family. It's called presence over presence. Mm-hmm. And me being a single dad. And, and I think maybe you could understand what I mean is like sometimes, you know, we, we give presence because of our guilt of not being there with our presence. You know, and, and, and what I realized, you know, I've been away to group homes, I've been away to jail, and I've learned, I've seen guys all over the world. And I've women. never been to group homes. No, no, but, but what I mean by that is I've seen people, <laughs> I've seen people who haven't had parents in their life that really have suffered and have scarred and have issues, and that presence means so much. So, you know, you know, I, I mean, I can't explain how much it means, but I mean, do you feel like that was what was missing a little bit? You or? know what? It, it, that's definitely it. Um... You know, my dad was absent, you know, a lot of my childhood. Um, he remarried, had other kids. And um, a, a lot of his mistakes were uh, thrown in my face. You know, I would get teased a lot at school. People would show up with newspapers like, oh, he's your dad, you know. So that made me create like an anger towards him. So I kind of pushed back. And I think that's why I had a lot of, I had a lot of fucked up, you know, relationships with men because I didn't have, you know, day one. You know what I'm saying? Um, And I I acted out, did a lot of things I should not have done because I was in pain. And you know what? I'm so glad that my dad reached out to me and said, you know what? We have to rebuild this. We have to get on track. We're family. You know, I'm your only father. I'm not always going to be here. So let's let's do this. And you know what? Now that we're re- now that we're rebuilding our relationship, I feel better about myself, and I know my worth. I know what I am not going to accept from a man ever again. So, him coming back into my life is awesome. Mm. Dow, when did you when did you really? I mean, you you've always been committed to protecting your kids, and and not having your get kids go through the same things that w- that you went through but we make mistakes you know I, i'm I, i'm with my kids i'm raising my kids and i know the mistakes i'm making but what was it that made you reach out to diamond and say listen we have to break this this cycle well i, I kind of knew for a while that you know it's been a real um struggle there you know with us and you know the relationship because of you know remarrying having other kids and and them them getting them being with me my other kids being with me when my life was good, right? Uh, they never seen the bad side, right? You know, Diamond and DJ saw the bad side, mm-hmm. so I was kind of away a lot, and you know, I was out running and doing my thing, and and, and the relationship was broken. But um, it, it's just really starting coming back together. I think over you know the last you know we started getting back together, talking about it over the last year or so. I, I I believe we started pulling back together. I just I just I just I just slowly uh, going through a slow process and, and not trying to force. 
you know, and saying you need to do this, you need to do that. that you know, that's not what I'm going to do. You know, I, I, I just said, you know, I'm here and we need to talk. And when you need to talk, when you're ready to talk and I'm here and we could build our relationship back, you know, the way we need to build it back, you know, because there's a lot of lost time there. Even though they were young and they didn't know a lot of time they were with us and my other family, too, but they were young right. and they missed out on me being there by myself without a family. So. And, and they missed out on you being the whole you, you, you're, you're a complete yes. Dow Strawberry right now. When how did you hear about this? reality show did you hear about it before it aired or like how did you hear about it hey, Uh-oh. world star <laughs> well, well diamond had mentioned it to me and, and she asked me would i come on i said I'm, I, I said i i said i will but i said diamond i'm not coming on a show that's going to be full of drama right you know because and i haven't watched none of it okay so absolutely what it, absolutely none zero and what happened was is is i started hearing about it through my other daughters, um, she's got younger sisters, and and and, and they're concerned. You know, the youngest one is fourteen, and right. she loves Diamond. They know Diamond. You know, they love her. They goes, Dad. You know, are the, you watching this? No, the younger one is like, Dad. You know, go help Diamond. Right. She's our sister. Right. You need to help her. You know, and that's you know they they take that. My daughter Jade, who's up at UConn, she plays volleyball. She's like, Dad, go help Diamond. She's our sister. We love her, and you need to go help her. And, and help her, you know, move forward in life and, and everything else. So, and it's just good. It's good to know that her sisters love her like that. You know, right. they have that love. And not only her sisters, her cousins, she's got so many, you know, it's so many strawberries. There's only so many, it's a lot of them. Right. You know, How many strawberries all, you put in the field? It's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> Strawberry fields really? forever. So it's a lot of strawberries around, you know, and she's got cousins and, and everybody's watching. Right. You know, and, 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 and they love Diamond. They know Diamond from baby. You know, they got all baby pictures. We've we always all been together. You know, you know, we went separate ways. You know, when you break up and have marriages and you break up, uh, you go separate ways. And, and, and the kids suffer. Right. There's no question about it. If anybody don't believe that, the kids will suffer when you have to go your separate ways. And you have to build that trust back in that relationship. So me and Diamond, we've been pretty cool. You know, this, this has been a good time. You know, and I've, I came up here to New York to, you know, to spend this time with her. You know, I blocked out everything else when I said, I'm going to come up here and, and I want to help you walk through what you're going through at this point because I've been there. Right. And I know what it's like. I know and, and, it's, and you know your father's been there. Right. Now, when your father reached out, you know, you, of, of course the resentment doesn't go away automatically. Right. Were you z- resentful when he was reaching out to you to, to, to fix this? Like, what yeah. was going through your well, mind? I curved my dad a couple times. Right. You know, it wasn't intentional, but I was like, I've been gone this long. Sure. I, don't, I don't need you right now. Not I'm, I don't need you, but I wasn't ready. Right. I wasn't ready. I was very immature. Even at, you know, 25, 26 years old, very immature and not realizing how important that relationship with your father is. Because that's the first relationship with a man that a girl has, you know. So I just really had to woman up and think. And And what was what was the turning point where you were like, you know what? This thing might be spiraling out of control. You know, this thing might be taken a different way. What? What was the turning point that that had you have a change of heart and really embrace your father in your life? He said something that scared me. He said, Diamond, I don't know when God's going to call me home. I'm not going to be here forever. You know, let's fix this. And that scared me. Like, damn, like my dad could pass away tomorrow and we wouldn't have mended our relationship. Mm. I'm just going to be living with regrets, you know. So despite all the pain and all the, you know, anger I have, 
let me just talk to the man. And, and, and tell us about some of the conversations <laughs> that you guys have that really, no, and and I, I I say this because yeah, this is a this is a, a show. This is entertainment. My my our audience is listen, but I want to learn also. What are some of the conversations you have that that help to repair this relationship? Well, I think the most important conversation that you're going to have with your child is is I love you, regardless, you know, regardless of what I've done or what you've done. Uh, that's not going to make this relationship uh, the way it should be. That's not the way you're going to be able to mend the relationship. Uh, and I learned that with my father. Two wrongs don't make a right. Two wrongs don't make a right. right. So if you if you sit around and you, and you both wrong and point fingers, well, nobody wins. Right. It's just like a ball game. You know, I'm, I'm in the middle of a ball game. I know I know how to win a ball game, but do do I know how to win in life as a father? And I have to be able to win in life as a father is because you have to give in and you you have to know that your child is more important than anything else, and you have to be able to admit to your child. I have been wrong. I have made mistakes. I am sorry. I love you. And that's how you start mending that relationship. You know, I think one of the most important things is we had Jermaine Dupree on our show before, and he was talking, we were talking about presence over presence, and he has two daughters. And we were talking about, he, he made such a great point for us as fathers and, you know, having daughters, uh, you know, that there's only one of everything. You know, there's only one of uh, her, her junior high school graduation, one high school graduation, one college graduation. You know, hopefully one marriage, but there's only one of a lot of things. And, you know, it's so important to be there. You know, so regardless if we missed all this time in my life, how I have lived is there's always time to make up. You know, mm-hmm. there's always a Tuesday uh, date that you could go out to eat and stuff like that. So I, I, I love to see that you guys have or start to mend this relationship. Diamond, you, you, you missed a lot of time with your father and it, and it impacted on you. Oh, yeah. You feel that, you know, during some very formative periods of your life. He wasn't there. Right. Absolutely. How are you able to re-become daddy's little girl? You know what? Daddy's little girl, that's a heavy title. I'm a grown woman. Chill with but, that. <laughs> I but, um I don't I don't know. I mean that's a damn good question. I I don't know. I think just by us, you know, spending time having conversations and really just getting comfortable with one another, like we'll have that bond, and I'll be like, you know what, that's my that's my dad. I mean, I love him, but you know, just to have you know that kind of right. relationship. You learned a lot about your father secondhand, like yeah. through what your mom's probably said right. and what your friends said and what the media has said. Now that you're spending a lot of time with your father, what are you learning about him? You know what? That you, that you didn't know, like, th- about his character. Oh, <laughs> I mean, spending time with him, I see that, you know, he's a funny guy. He's he's very genuine. Um, he cares. He, he's very punctual. He's always on time for things. That's really important, <laughs> though. As a father, that's really important because yeah, most of us get the, the bad rap of being late. <laughs> so, you, so you're winning. Yeah. You're winning, Straw, on that. Right. But, but, but what else? Um, you know, he, he just loves all his kids. Like, that's all he talks about. That's all. Oh, your brother Jordan, he's playing at Mercy. Jules at UConn. I mean, Jay's at UConn. It's just, that's all he talks about, which is awesome. Right. Like, that he's so in tune with his kids' life, and I just wish that I would have talked to him sooner so he could know more about my life, right. you know? Now, you know, we, we, we're talking about cycles, and, and that's the recurring theme of this show. We see you on TV in New York City chasing your dreams, and what 
young person doesn't want to come to New York right. to chase their dreams. That's like the that's part of like the American story. That's the American, True. you know, fa- fairy tale. You come to New York, you make it in this big city, you can make it everywhere. Your, your father did that, and you're in that. But people are also seeing that while you're here, your daughter's away. Right. Your daughter's with your mom. Right. And do you see that as kind of like a, another cycle that's starting to that will definitely not be a cycle at all okay. my daughter is everything to me right. but I does mean, she does she know that at such a young age oh we can call her right now right. you could ask her okay. hey well what do you think of mommy what do you think mommy thinks of you i love mommy my mommy loves me you know she was just here last week you know we did everything together my my daughter knows i love her to death but um it's i don't understand why i'm getting such a bad rep for because, because because it's reality TV, it's love and hip hop. You know what I'm saying? So already that show, right. you're looking for the worst of anybody on that cast. You know what I'm saying? Right. And then it's the way this thing is playing out. It looks like even before I looked at the show, I was like, you know, tell me about Diamond. I want to research. But I was like, oh, she's this chick that left her child and is chasing this man. That that that's the narrative that's being told. That's that's terrible. That people could you know say that i'm a bad mother that 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 shit is getting on my nerves honestly what do you have to say to the people that are saying that take a minute and think um okay let's let's just take an actor when he has to go film a movie for months at a time he's leaving his child behind i'm pretty sure he's not dumping him off in foster care he's leaving him with someone that he trusts that's exactly what i did i left my daughter with my mother to pursue my career okay also, you know, to build my relationship with Cisco, but like, I didn't want to bring my daughter to New York while things are rocky and right. my situation isn't good. I wanted to send for her when I got on my feet so she wouldn't be living in craziness right. like I was. You know, I feel like I made smart decisions to protect her and they blew up in my face. And I don't appreciate being discredited as a mother because I'm a damn good mother. So if people take anything from the show, I just want them to see how much I love my daughter. You can call me crazy about a man. I'm chasing him, whatever. But I want my motherhood back, period. Daryl, you see this, you hear about this thing playing out. Do you make some calls like, yo, y'all better fix this? Do you call VH1 and like, yo, you, you, you better fix this? Hmm. Did he? <laughs> get that I, got, e- I, got a, I got a Louisville slugger. Get that Easton, that Easton. We'll hanging over trunk. the mantle. I'll come with you, Daryl. Well, I, I just... I know how this works, right. and so I just want wanted my daughter. I really wanted her to be able to understand what this is all about, but at the same time, I wanted her to take responsibility. You know, there's no quitting. There's you put yourself in this. You play with fire. This is what fire does. You got to be prepared. If you're not prepared, you know, and I, I think that that's the whole key for her to understand this, how these things work. So moving forward, you know. What has happened is water under the bridge. Right. You know, but you moving forward, who are you? You know, either you're going to stay there or are you going to move forward and, and you're going to show this other positive affirmation about who you are? You know, because we could stay here because I stayed there for a long time. Even in the midst of my career, you know, I stayed there. But I was, but see, I was, I was a person of, uh, of, of that had it, that had it, I had to, Ism, I could do anything. Right. 
I, you know, I can overcome anything. Right. You know, and I don't know if my kids have that just yet. You know, I have always been an overcomer and a fighter. You know, so I'm I'm trying to teach her what this is about. This is real life. This is how how it happens, and this is how you have to show up and how you have to deal with it. Now, regardless, you put yourself there. Now you got to get yourself out of there in, in in a positive way for yourself. I want her to learn that because that's that's the only way you're going to learn what this journey of life is. We we won't learn this journey of life, you know, wanting somebody else to fix it for me. You know, we got to fix it ourselves because that's how I had to do my life. I had to fix it myself. Right. Everybody else wants somebody else to do it, and it's everybody else. And why are they doing this? And why did no? I put myself in this position, so I need to show who I really am. It's up to Diamond to show who she really is as a mother. I already know who she is as a mother, but it's up to her to show her critics and, and, and herself and her life who she is. I just need to add something. Um, What the cameras don't show is that I was go- going home once a month for like a week or two to right. be with my daughter. Right. She came here, spent her summer vacation in New York. Okay. Like I had my baby. I was with her. I was being a mother you know I was present as much as I could be but I work here you know she goes to school in LA so I mean of course she can't be here you're not gonna uproot her right right but even but but even you have to learn too diamond I told diamond before you have to learn too. even though what they don't show they didn't show when they didn't show when I was going to hospital visiting kids sick kids and stuff when when the things I was doing when I was playing ball but they would show me with handcuffs on Right. right. You I understand mean, what I'm saying? I wonder <laughs> yeah. why. So they, like, they want a juicy story. I, I see it, why what, they didn't show and that's those That's the narrative things. also because as people of color, yeah, you know, we, we've grown accustomed over the centuries of, of, of portraying us. Yeah, you got to deal with it. You got you, you to deal with it. But the thing is, is how do you how do you overcome that? That's my whole point with this this whole scenario of this show of coming here and, and, and helping Diamond understand. I'm, I'm here, your father. I'm here to help you to show you how to overcome that. And and, and what, what really drives me crazy is you come in my own backyard, my city, <laughs> your city, and, and, and not tell me that it's going to be like this. And, and, and I, I don't get here until, you know, the other kids and want me to go and, and, and help their sister, which, right. which I was going to do anyway. Uh, but, she, but, you know, at the same time, I, I want her to be able to understand this too, you know. But, that, you know, you know and, and, and we, we can speak about this as parents, you know, I have kids, and, and my son wants to go in the, in the music industry. I, I worked in the music industry for 15 years, and I realized he doesn't ask me for anything. And yeah, I could say he's being independent a whole now, but at the same time, I'm like, yo, why don't, I, could make, I could pick up a phone and, and just make this, these 10 steps you gotta go through, right. half a step. But you know sometimes saying? we want to do it on our own. Of course, of course. But the thing is, you are doing it on your own. The thing about the privilege you have is you got to embrace this privilege because other people, like the country is run on privilege. And these other kids think they're doing it on their own, but they're not doing it on their own. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, 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 you know, to have a father that this is his city. This is his city. Diddy don't run this city. <laughs> the strawberry runs this city. This strawberry city. You know no, but you know what? You also got to think, too. Uh, you, you know, it's a reality show. So you know what you get when you have a reality show? You get opinions. Right. And the people who are very opinionated of who it is. And, I, you know, I watch some of it, and I see that the – I don't know the kid Cisco, but what I'm saying, I've seen that he really hasn't claimed some of the, you know, you being with him. So people judge, like, the way, mm-hmm. oh, well, maybe he don't really like her, or maybe, you know, she's doing this. They don't see – all of that. So that's why, it, you know, I'm glad that you came on the show. 
that people could understand that, like, hey, listen, you know, this is what I do do, and I do go visit my daughter. My daughter spent the summer. But at the end of the day, people are always going to judge things that seem in, in, in limbo, you know? Right. People don't know me. I mean, they get be- bits and pieces of me every hour on Monday. I mean, for an hour on Mondays. But it's just like, I just, I, I, I mean, I understand people have their opinions, but damn. You're really seeing it. Else. Like, you're really seeing what this thing is really yes. about right now. Let me ask you, you guys are still taping? Yes, we are. How is it playing out? Without telling, is it, are you... Do you see things moving in a more positive direction for you? Yes. Okay. Things are looking up. Okay. Now, worst case scenario, because once again, it's always in the edit. If this thing ends up and you're looking like the worst person last episode, what do you do? What do I do? I don't, I don't see that happening. Right. But, but you never know. This is, it, it, I don't want to say evil, but it's a very tricky industry and Mm -hmm. once it comes down to the edit there's no loyalty right and if somebody needs to be the bad guy they're going to make them the bad guy if somebody needs to be the hero they're going to make them the hero and so and then you always need a loser in the in in, in, in this game so worst case scenario they make you the loser oh my gosh that's gonna suck actually of course it's gonna suck but you know what all i have to do is just pick myself up like so what so what? There's always next season. There's always things outside of the show to build myself back up. Like, I'm not going to let that bring me down. It's brought me down enough. Right, mm. right. Any regrets? The dog reference. That's yeah. it. Okay. That is it. You know what? I can't lie. Um, I regret letting people get the best of me. I regret. Also, in the show or outside, like the the, the oh, social, social media, social media. That type of oh, on the show. I don't care about that anymore. Right, en- but enough with the death threats. But anyways, you getting death threats? Oh, what? Yes, several. It, it bothered me. We, got, we got to get a couple of those Louisville's uh, straw. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know. But anyway, so you were saying. You know what? I just got sidetracked. No, in terms <laughs> of oh, in, in terms um, of in terms of the regrets of people getting the best right of me, um, on the show. I just regret letting people get me so worked up and then I'm blowing up and I'm yelling and I'm cursing, I'm throwing things. Did like, you throw a drink in somebody's face? I did not. Did you get when, a drink when thrown in When they saw that face? coming, they said, put the okay. 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 So we're about to see some fireworks. Yeah, you're going to see me spaz out a couple times okay. and I, I regret letting people get me that angry. Right. That's what I regret. Okay. But I'm glad that you're being really forthcoming about that. Right. Um, any last words to our audience about who you are and what you want people to see um, in you and who you're going to be? You know what? Um, outside of the show, I have a lot going on, um, a lot of positive things. I became the face of a hair company. Congratulations. Thank you. We're starting the campaign Cheer. with that. Is, um, the deal, is the deal inked? Oh, yes. Can you tell us who? Done. Echelon Hair. Congratulations. Nice. I'm based here in New York. And I got to say, your hair is laying down. Your hair Thank is floating. You. <laughs> your hair is floating. If we had an air conditioner here, Beyonce. You would see some angel hair. Beyonce. So, so go ahead. Um, I have a lot of modeling um, gigs lined up. I'm getting booked left and right. I'm so excited about that. I'm You're very actually, pretty. Thank you. Very pretty. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. Hey, get you for me. Hey, no, no, no. Where I should get you for me. Okay. So go ahead. Um, I'm going to be on the cover of a magazine. I can't say which one just yet. Okay. But be on the lookout for that. Um, and most importantly, I am the, the co-founder of a group home for pregnant teens, runaways, and victims of abuse. So I'm I'm really excited about that. Um, you know, I was a teen mother myself, mm. so I can relate to these girls so so much and. 
it's I feel like it's just so important to reach out to them and encourage them and motivate them to never give up. Me, I'm 26 and I'm just now, you know, getting my career going. And you're very young to yeah. have lived so much already. Oh, I've I've been through a lot, but um, paying it forward. Yeah, exactly. It's so important to give back. You know, Daryl, as a parent, you know, I tell my kids, y'all don't really know me yet, but I know you. What do you know? Like, what are the characteristics? What, what's, what's, what's Diamond's character that you know about her, that you feel she may not even know about herself yet? Well, I, I think she don't really know, you know, how, how, how blessed she's been. Right. You know, Kids never been, do. They don't know how fortunate, you know, that and how good she has really had it. Um, her life has been really sheltered, you know, hidden. Um, and now she's just finding out that she can, actually step up and be her own mm-hmm. you know i i think that's i think that's something that is she's learning about about herself at this point and um i'm really glad i'm really glad it all comes out like this because right. sometimes you have to have a coming out party to really find out who you are yes you know because if you don't ever have that coming out party you'll sit at home mom dad be chilling they taking care of me you know it's all good mm-hmm. you know i could do what i want but you realize that when you actually finally get out there and do what you want, uh, what kind of, you know, what, what kind of, what, what, kind, what kind of stuff I have to deal with, what kind of fireback I have to deal with. Cause, cause that's what, we, cause that's what we all, we all got to go through something, you know, and if we don't go through it, we'll never learn nothing. And, and I think this is diamonds really, um, first time where, you know, she's been really shy and naive. Now all of a sudden she, you get knocked over the head a couple of times. You start throwing up that wall and saying, you know what? I got to put these dukes up. So I got to fight, you know? So that's what I'm really proud of. I'm really proud that she had picked it up and mm-hmm. picked up the pace and picked up the steam. I said, you know what? I'm going to fight back mm-hmm. regardless of what, what's been said and what I said, the stupid stuff I said, cause we all have done something stupid and probably going to do something else stupid, mm-hmm. you know, but it's, but it's not how it's, it's not how you, it's not how you fall down, it's how you get back mm. up. And that's the importance I try to tell Diamond and all the other kids, get up, okay? That's the name of the game. If you want to be in this game of life and you want to be successful at it, you got to get up. Mr. Strawberry, tell us some of the other things you're working on right now. Well, I'm a full-time minister, okay. you know, and I'm in, in full-time in that and just written a book, uh, me and my wife, Tracy, we written a book, um, The Imperfect Marriage. Uh, Christian book, and I'm getting ready to write another book. You know, with um, Simon and Schuster, of course. Um, so that, I'm writing that, books. I got um, that, that. That check is, is is good, huh? Yeah, things are well. You know, <laughs> things are well. And I have t- um, I have two um, um, two treatment centers right now, recovery treatment centers, uh, where I come from addiction. I'm helping people. Really, you have your own? Yes, I have one down in uh, Orlando, Florida, okay. and I have one in um, Longview, Texas. Looking to put one up here in this area, up here in um, New Jersey. And um, Detroit. Uh, they, so, they need one in Jersey. <laughs> well, they need them everywhere. They so, need them everywhere. Yeah, we're very, very, very busy. I'm very busy season. Um, I'm also with um, a group called, a men's ministry called Promise Keepers. I'm the conference chairman for the 2015 uh, Promise Keepers. Um, I'm going to be preaching at uh, eight events for them this year. So uh, my life is very, very busy. And Still very working thankful. with the Mets? No, I'm not in baseball at all. Okay. You know, my, my life is... Uh, nowhere around baseball. I'm, I'm truly, um, I'm truly focused in, in what I'm doing in the ministry, and and, and love my wife, and, and and I love my children. You know, mm. my, that's what she say. I talk about all the time, but you know, I, I've come to a greater understanding of what what's important in life, and I don't want to ever fool myself again. Because you know, for a long time, I lay, I, I lived out there, and I fooled myself that I was all that in a bag of chips, 
And, you know, I don't want to be the knucklehead no more. I want to be the head. Mm -hmm. You know, Diamond, I want to say this last thing. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I've seen in in the the short time that I've been alive, I've seen that when it comes to the sins of the father and and the child, that as much as the father tends to try to patch things up, I noticed the recurring trend is that it comes down to the child to really not even forgive but accept their father and and champion their father even Mm -hmm. with their mistakes to keep moving forward. Do Do you see that happening? Definitely. I mean... You said not forgiveness, but I definitely had to forgive my dad right. for a lot of things. But yeah, I agree. Okay, excellent. And and I got to tell you, Dal, man, I, I learned a lot of things. Like I hope our audience learns a lot of things, but I've learned a lot of things from you that that I'm thankful for. That I that I that I'm hopeful that I can take home to to my boys and my daughter. So mm-hmm. thank you so much. Well, thanks, Mr. Shoray, for coming on the Combat Jack Show, and, and thank you so much, Dal. Any last words you want to say? I want to give a shout out, of course, to Marjorie Plummer once again, Jim, hey, who manages manager. uh Diamond, and then Ed Woods, who's everywhere. You know what I'm saying? I, I, Ed I, Fancy Woods. Ed Fancy Woods. Any any last things you want to leave the audience? Where, where can they find you on social media? Oh, um, Instagram. You can follow me. My name is Diamond underscore Strawberry, spelled just like it is. Um, on Twitter, you can follow me. It's D Strawberry Duh. D-U-H um, that's about it I don't have Facebook or anything else like that and, and, and Mr. Strawberry are you on social media I'm just on Instagram you can follow me on there Daryl Strawberry 18 <laughs> what, what, what kind of pictures do you but, take man what kind of pictures do you, I, can't. I take funny pictures oh, yeah. I mean yeah I'm a funny guy I mean I love my family and you'll <laughs> see me posting a lot A lot of things has to do with my family my kids uh, just nice I'm stuff. sitting around that you know my whole life is sitting around my family and my kids stupid question do y'all like strawberries Love them. Not a big fan. You should have no. got a check from strawberries. <laughs> you, know, you better not be posting no St. Louis pizza on your Instagram. <laughs> oh, but be, before before we ride out, and uh, this is this was beautiful, and it was beautiful for a lot of reasons. But Diamond, I really appreciate that. Thank you for coming. I, I I will say this. I I love it because it's like you saying you love her, and you hearing that after all all these years and the, the absence. It's a beautiful thing because we really believe in like being there for our children, and they need us. You know. As Whitney said, you know, children are future. Real talk. It's just, mm-hmm. But I will say this. With an ending, thank you, Daryl, for coming on. But if the 2015 Daryl Strawberry could go back and tell the back-in-the-day Strawberry a word of advice, what would it be? Well, the 2015 couldn't tell him nothing. Okay. Because, he, like I said, he wanted to be the knucklehead. You know, he wanted to do what he wanted to do and how he wanted to do it. But once he died, you know, then I crossed over on the other side because you have to die to cross over on the other side. There's no wholeness inside of you until you die. And and, and I had to let him go because he was a cool dude. He had a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong. It was a lot of fun. But with fun, there's there's consequences behind that. And with, with walking today and the 2015 with righteousness and wholeness, he's free. There's 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 no hole back there, you know, because he, I'm not looking over my shoulder, you know, and I'm not here to impress anyone. I'm free, and that's what I, that's what I that's I think that's what we all strive for is to get to that place of finding that freedom because it's there and it's so good, and you get to live out your life the, the proper way. Thank you so much, mm-hmm. Internets man. You know what it is, man. I I know you're gonna appreciate this show and enjoy it. Thanks for listening, tuning into the Combat Jack Show, and you know. Dream those dreams and man up and live those dreams because a life without dreams is black and white and the universe flows in technicolor and surround sound. Blah. Blah. Blah.
This episode of the Combat Jack Show was produced by Jonathan Mena, executive produced by A. King and Chris Morrow, engineered by Samir Karan, and recorded in the Engine Room Audio Studio in downtown Manhattan. This is an official Loudspeakers Network's production. Don't let Strawberry get that bat swinging a couple across your head, Samir, okay? <laughs> you fuck. That old Louisville slugger. Yes, sir. <laughs> That's the old one.